Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in today's Beneplan podcast. My name is Sofyan Sheikh and I'm joined by Joel Gomes. Joel, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello everyone, my name is Joel Gomes. I'm the uh, Senior HR Manager for Beneplan Inc. Uh, and uh, part of my role, uh, apart from doing human resources for our company Beneplan, uh, is actively to take part in client consulting, so address client HR issues and help with mitigating and uh, creating a, a, a more robust workplace from an HR perspective. So, but when it comes to like workplaces, let's talk about the best practices that organizations can use to implement, you know, a cannabis environment where they like encourage their employees to smoke weed, not on the job, but medicinally outside. And what are the rights and wrongs? So first of all, we'll open up by saying there's not going to be any draw for a free package of Ontario legal weed Mm -hmm. uh, in this uh, this podcast. Well, there's a whole bunch of best practices uh, that companies can instill from a workplace perspective. We've covered quite a few of them on our blog post recently uh, in October. Uh, But just a quick recap, uh, I think the the two or three key things that that organizations need to be aware of is, uh, one, there is existing legislation that controls the use and the the, uh, sort of general application of cannabis uh, in the workplace. So it's not, you know, yay, everybody just carries around their pocket. Uh, that's the first piece. The second piece is uh, there is no need for employers to sort of reinvent the wheel and create net new policies for cannabis slash marijuana, same thing. Um, and, and this is primarily because most organizations have existing drug, narcotic, alcohol policies in place. Um, and then the last piece uh, is if you don't have a policy in place, here's now a good Im, uh, incentive to, to start, to create a policy from, from net zero, uh, put something in place, not specifically for marijuana slash cannabis, but to cover the whole gamut of things that might impact the workplace, primarily from a health and safety perspective. So cover narcotics, cover alcohol, and of course, as a byproduct of that, you will cover marijuana as well. So how does a business get ready? I don't know that there is an actual exercise piece or a process uh, in getting ready. Um, as I said before, we have best practices that we've included on our website. I think the two key pieces that help businesses to be quote-unquote ready, because you know there's always going to be curveballs and eventualities that may not be foreseen, uh, but to be prepared and to not be caught flat-footed, if you will, uh, the two key things that organizations can do is uh, create and communicate those policies that we mentioned earlier uh, clearly, keep the conversation alive on an ongoing basis. Uh, and the second piece is, of course, the due diligence. Just because you have policies in place doesn't mean people are going to comply with them 100%. We have very robust driving laws in our province, yet every weekend the OPB will pull over many drivers for mm-hmm. impaired driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the same way with the workplace. Uh, just because you create a policy doesn't mean people will comply with it 100%. Uh, there's a huge obligation for all employers, uh, especially in um, environments where uh, you run a warehouse or you have manufacturing or it's labor intensive. There's a huge obligation uh, to health and safety, not just for the particular employee that's impaired, but also to the rest of the employee workforce that you employ in your workplaces. Uh, so that should be the sort of pivot. Um, to being fair uh, and equitable across the board. Uh, There's also a huge obligation for employers um, to allow for accommodation. Uh, Yes, weed, marijuana, cannabis is legal, 
both recreationally, but it's also legal medicinally, uh, which means you might have an employee that requires um, accommodation for a prescription. And there's a process in place for that as well. So you have to be mindful of all these factors uh, in the prep uh, for, uh, for, for cannabis legalization uh, and getting a workplace ready. Mm-hmm. So I was reading through our blog uh, for the best practices regarding cannabis, and I see that you have a point over here that says address discipline for a violation of the drug and alcohol policy. Let's say I have a warehouse that I employ people to work in, and I find my workers high, or like I find the scent of weed in the air. Now, because I'm in close, close proximity with this worker, I can address that situation with him right there and then, or maybe file a formal complaint using the HR, like whatever. So how would you say we can like go about this whole policy? Because it's legal now, so we have to take into consideration that people might you know, abuse it. Well, the, absolutely. And then so there's a couple of items that you sort of mentioned. One is just the smell of weed on the clothes. And because it's legal, you might have had a great party on the weekend and, and you've been in close contact or in close quarters uh, in a closed room with other people that might partake of, of the substance. Uh, where, you know, you, you walk into a kitchen, sometimes you come out smelling like food. So your clothes might smell like weed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are impaired automatically just because your clothes smell like weed. Now, of course, some people don't like the smell of it or are allergic to it or whatever the case may be. And the workplace can address that with workplace policies regarding scents in the workplace. Uh, so keep in mind, uh, there's a bit of a balance to be had because when you have a no scent or a neutral scent policy at work. Um, it means that you're barring empl- uh, all employees from wearing any kind of scents, perfumes, or anything else that they might wear then that may or may not include aftershaves or, or things like that. So there's a bit of a balance to be had, and then of course you'll be covering the smell of marijuana in the workplace, and that's sort of the easier one, and, and uh, you need to balance it with public with hygiene and, and the necessity of, of smells and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's one aspect to it. Uh, you mentioned something about consequence uh, for utilizing and, and outlining that. So before we get to the consequence part, it's very important for you to be clear on the descriptors and the parameters that you're going to use in terms of observation uh, and as well empirical demarcators uh, that prove your point uh, of impairment. So it's not about you know high or inebriation. The key thing to consider is, is my employee impaired at work? For example, if if it's intoxication by alcohol, the person might have an unsteady gait. Uh, the person might be constantly tipping over or tripping or whatever the case may be. Um, with marijuana, it's not so easy. Uh, intoxication, it does absolutely impair you. Uh, it's more from a reactive and cognitive perspective, and you're not going to see easily visible signs. So it takes us back to that previous statement that we made where due diligence is absolutely key. Uh, so how do I check, employers will say, uh, and how do I know this is happening? Well, this employee just didn't start with you yesterday. They have been with you for a while, so you know what the normal operating practice is. Typically, it's not just in isolation. You have to look at the bigger holistic picture. Typically, what we have sort of gathered uh, with the basic initial data that we have is there's going to be attendance and punctuality issues, ongoing problems, uh, attention to detail, uh, lack of focus, uh, just impairment during driving, especially if you're if you have employees who, who drive for the company. So, uh, those due diligences and and being aware of what's going on with your employee 
uh, are absolutely critical. So the whole concept of no news is good news is not a good way to go. Uh, so if you keep these basic items in, in, in play, it doesn't, the bottom line is you don't start off with, you know, stick. You should start off with carrot first. And so don't just automatically assume that because the person smells like weed, that they've automatically done weed during their lunch break or, or they've shown up to work high or whatever the case is. So there's, there's, there's a, a bit of caution there in terms of application and mm -hmm. a bit of balance. Now, as an HR advisor, what are some of the key things that you would say people should put in put in their consent policies? Well, the consent to uh, comply with the drug and alcohol policy primarily hinges on health and safety. So essentially, it is the prerogative of the, of the employer to control what happens in their work environment. So if you are coming into my workspace, you have to play by my rules, as long as those rules don't break any established, you know, overarching provincial laws and regulations. So, for example, if I if I own a small business or a medium business or any business for that matter, if I say to all employees, and we've done this as, as a province, as a society, and as businesses, we have existing laws that say if you're working here, you cannot smoke in the workplace. Yes, you can smoke outside the building, but you have to be 10 meters away. And we've seen that legislation passed. It's now in effect and we operate it. So you can apply the same rules as an employer to say if you're going to come and work in my workplace, you have an obligation to A, disclose any utilization of cannabis, marijuana, weed from a medicinal standpoint. So that a, you know triggers the duty to accommodate piece and there's specific processes for it and there's obligations that the employee needs to fulfill. But the rules can simply say, recreationally, you cannot utilize it on premises. You cannot come in smelling like weed. Mm -hmm. You cannot come to work impaired. Uh, you cannot come into work and impact the health and safety of yourself and your coworkers. So these are very clear, unambiguous statements that should be covered in a very robust policy that will clearly outline what the expectations are from the employees. The last thing you want is ambiguity or gray zones. Um, the, the second part to that is once you've outlined what employees are not are expected not to do, you outline what the consequences are going to be if whatever method they have found out that they're breaking the rules. Um, just a small step back, when you create those policies, we've, we've talked previously about communicating them. So just because you create a policy and put it on your internet yeah, blog, doesn't mean anything. doesn't mean anything at all, absolutely. So you've communicated them. Uh, typically a policy like this would have an acknowledgement and sign-off, uh, which is also covered partially in employment contracts where there's that statement that says, you know, I agree to do business in the manner of the employer uh, and I abide by the employer's policies and I agree to follow them and I understand the consequences if I don't. So that sign-off sheet must, in my opinion, be returned back and be part of the employee uh, file. Uh, you have to allow employees a chance to discuss and, and educate themselves on, on the topic. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, an open-door policy in terms of ongoing discussion, morning meetings, huddles, uh, team meetings, whatever the case is. Uh, it allows for clarification and dispelling myths and, and, and clarity on policies that, that you're rolling out. Uh, once you outline the consequences, coming back to the consequence part, uh, it needs to be fair and equitable. So you can't, for example, just arbitrarily line up people in your workplace every day and test them when they're entering in. Testing is a very dicey topic. Uh, usually uh, and classically, it is very difficult um, to be upheld uh, from a legal standpoint. Um, the courts tend to look disfavorably on the whole testing piece. 
unless you can absolutely justifiably prove that there was no other recourse and there's an inherent problem uh, and you had to resort to it. So reasonable circumstances uh, in testing. So you can make testing part of a return to work agreement. So this person has been impaired, they've gone and sought treatment, uh, they've come back uh, and um, you have, so you have a, a protocol in place that asks this employee to get tested maybe every three months or six months or whatever the case may be. The key note is you can't just have this testing in place forever. There needs to be an end. So after coming back to work, we'll test you for the next one year, for the next six months. Again, depending on the work environment, there's no hard and fast carved in stone rule that applies across the board. So things like that, you'll need to be mindful of and cautious of. Uh, but I think on the overall, you have to go into the whole equation as employees do want to be productive workers. Employers do want to provide healthy work environments. If everybody's going to be suspicious of everybody and start pointing fingers and, and act in a covert fashion, that, that's not a productive work environment. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to employees using cannabis for medicinal use. Now, you briefly touched on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's say, for example, if they really need to smoke on property or like at a location, a work location, is that justified? Or will they have to take a leave of absence, come back, and then work again? How will this work? So there could be multiple aspects to this. So I'll touch first on the smoking aspect. From my uh, research that I've done, as well as what's available online, as well as in in government documents. So you're referring um, to the government website then, yeah? That is correct. Okay. Uh, So I'm I'm referring to the government of Canada's access to cannabis as a medical prescription requisition form uh, and the requisitions outlined there. You need to first of all have a prescription from a from your treating physician to treat this. I don't believe that smoking cannabis uh, is a treatment, a recommended treatment. Uh, and I base this basically on smoking doesn't allow you, like most medications that we take, have dosages. Uh, first of all, marijuana does not even have a DIN number yet. So that's a drug identification number. Uh, most medications have doses, doses, like I said. So essentially, you know, five milligrams, ten milligrams. When you smoke the marijuana plant or, or the the product, whatever the case is, you don't have a guaranteed way of measuring the dose that you're inhaling or ingesting or whatever the case may be. So typically, the treatment there's two components to marijuana in its medicinal form, so to speak. There's the THC part that produces the high and the elated stand, you know, the the, um, the intoxication and impairment. And then there's the CBD part, which uh, is the medicinal value portion of, of marijuana. Typically, this is prescribed in the format of oil, uh, and it's, it's a thick gel. So before you sort of go down the path of, I can smoke during my lunch break, it's a very exacting process where you go to your doctor, you get a prescription, that prescription needs to be then reported to um, Health Canada. There's the ACMPR form that I mentioned earlier. You need to complete the form to indicate that you are consuming it. And then when you are sourcing that marijuana that you're consuming, you need to source it from authorized growers and retailers, uh, or uh, I stand corrected, authorized retailers. So there's licenses for authorized growers, and licenses for authorized retailers okay. or licenses for authorized growers and retailers. So there's a whole bunch of checks and balances that the employer can partner with the employee to ask for in terms of documentation, duration of prescription, what's required. Um, from a classic workplace standpoint to your second question of 
how's that going to impact the workplace and can I just smoke and go to work? There's a abil functional abilities form. Uh, and usually your health practitioner or your doctor will fill that out to say, okay, fine, you're smoking, you're, sorry, not smoking, you're ingesting marijuana. Can I do X type of work? So it may not be of a huge impact for someone who sits in an office behind a computer um, for most of the shift and, and that's all they do. Uh, it may be a bigger impact and bigger consideration for someone who operates a forklift on a daily basis, eight hours a day or six hours a day, whatever the case may be. It may be a big consideration if you drive on behalf of your organization. So it really depends on the individual aspect of what the job description is. So that's the other part that employers need to have in terms of what functions does this employee perform. So when you fill out the functional abilities form, that needs to be spoken to and communicated to the treating physician to say, here's what my employee does with the consideration that he's under your treatment and with the prescription for medical marijuana, can they continue to do this job? Or should we give them desk duty for the next little while? And again, the accommodation part talks about to a point of reasonable hardship. So if you're, if you're workplace and you're confident that you can prove that your workplace cannot accommodate this employee in any other function for whatever reason, uh, then you can ask the employee to take a disability leave of absence because there's no accommodation piece, right? So there's all of these considerations tied together to sort of paint a bigger picture. So you, it's very imperative that you not look at things in silos and individually, like one plays into the other and there's cause and effect and impact. Well, thank you so much, Joel, for taking the time out to do this podcast with us. It was very insightful. So thank you once again. Thank you for having me. For everyone who tuned in to listen to this podcast, if, you, if you'd like to learn more about this topic, you can read our full blog on beneplan.ca regarding best practices with cannabis. Uh, if you have any questions, please be sure to email us on ea at beneplan.ca. This is Sufyan signing out, and you can follow us on our social channels, which is on Facebook as Beneplan Cooperative, on Twitter as Beneplan, and on Instagram as beneplan.ca. Thank you so much, and have a great day.